Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the About to Interview podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. About to Interview focuses on the conversations I have with writers, actors, directors, artists, and other creatives, and is a supplemental version of the weekly film review podcast, About to Review. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and so many more. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com, which is where you will find full links to the show notes and guests if you want to support the show. In the episode description, there is a link to an Amazon wish list if you want to get something for the studio. That would be fantastic. There's also a link for a PayPal, a direct PayPal donation link. So if you want to pitch in a dollar, that would be great to help uh, fund these trips that I take up to, you know, Vancouver and other places. That would be great. But more importantly, follow the podcast on social media at about to review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, youtube.com slash about to review. All right. The interviews you are about to hear on this episode are from the 10th annual Vancouver Short Film Festival, which happened this past weekend from January 24th through the 26th at the Van at the VIF Van City Theater. I always forget that is the front part of it as well. Uh, but before we get to the interviews, we'll go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Now, just like these storybooks we all remember from childhood, between each interview, you are going to hear this sound. And all of the interviews will be time-coded in the post, so if you wanted to skip to a specific one about a certain film that you're really interested in, you can do that easily. So without further ado, thank you so much to all of the filmmakers who made time for me this weekend to sit down. It was a super busy weekend. And so thank you for that, and I hope you enjoy the interviews. Joining me now is the writer, director, and a whole bunch of ladies from Last Stand to Nowhere. Welcome to the show, all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. So included in this, all of you that I just made a visual motion of in an audio medium. So we have the writer-director, Michelle Muldoon. We have Catherine, we have Jamie Lynn, Johanna, and Luvia. Julie Lynn. Julie Lynn. Julie Lynn. That works. So, Michelle, how about we start with you? So, Last Stand of Nowhere, this kind of gender-swapped, okay, corral type of situation. Tell me about it. So, we have made a film that is an all-female reimagining of the gunfight at the okay corral. 
where the Earps, Clantons, and McClowries are no longer brothers, they are now sisters. Because in the Last Stand universe, it doesn't matter what you do to survive, the only thing that matters is that you survive. So, so women don't have to be the call girl, and they don't have to be the long-suffering housewife or farm wife. Um, if they're good with a gun, then that's how they survive. Absolutely. And it definitely was you know, an interesting twist on that history, because as soon as I started hearing the names, I was like, because it opens, you know, Earp and everything, and I was like, wait a minute, I know this story. And then, you know, definitely taking those characters in different directions and not just having, you know, the women not be the housewife, but being women in power, you know, being sheriff. So I thought that was definitely an interesting and important take on things. Um, and then also before we get to the cast, so the costuming in this film is incredible. So definitely shout out your costume designer and kind of about that process. Florence, woo, woo, <laughs> is right. Uh, Florence Barrett, we call her the costume wizard. Um, okay. She basically... Now, is that formal? Did she go to costume wizarding school? Yeah, I think she did, actually. Okay, good, good. Actually, her, her parents are blacksmiths, so she grew up always wanting to make a Western. So, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, uh, you, know, you know, Annie Oakley's her hero and... All of that. So when I said, do you want to do a Western? She was all in. But, you know, we have a limited budget. We're a, a, a shorter production, 15 minutes. But, you know, it takes a lot to do that. So Flo scoured places for things that she could change. She could take the collars off. She could break it down. She burned jackets to have it, you know, look, you know, less new mm -hmm. um, and then a whole bunch of us including actually two of the producers sat in the backyard one afternoon and changed all the plastic bottles out buttons out for metal because she insisted that even that detail be correct um, and what she did on uh, the embarrassing low budget I gave her is frankly a miracle Absolutely. I remember showing up for my fitting um, a house in East Bend somewhere and, and kind of trepidatiously knocking on the back door because I wasn't sure, I, or the back gate, I wasn't sure if I was in the right place. She opens the door and she has this sort of frenzied look on her face yes. and she's covered in, in multiple colors of paint and she has like chains in her hand. She's like, come in, come in, come in. <laughs> yeah. She had like been beating jackets. <laughs> like on the, there, was, uh, the, the, there was two of them and they all looked kind of crazed. It was awesome. It was yeah. incredible. They were like dismantling things and building things and smashing things and splattering things and it was, it was glorious. Yeah, she's. I would get these texts with pictures from the cast. Almost every cast person sent me one, and it was. I love my costume. Yes, <laughs> yes. No corsets in sight. No corsets. <laughs> no. In sight. Yeah. Especially for a period piece, you know, in late nineteenth century, we do see one corset yes. with the singer. Yes. You know, in the bar, uh, yes. who is great, by the way. Who is that? So Lenny Evans uh, sings in eight languages. Okay. What? Uh, wow. Yes, she sang. Show she off. actually no translated yeah. the song into Japanese and did it on Man in the High Castle and sang it in Japanese. Uh, she's phenomenal, and uh, Linny chose that song actually. Really? She we're we're really old friends, and she said, "I want to be in, I want to be in your movie." I'm like, "Great." She goes, "I want to be your saloon singer." I'm like, "Great." She goes, "I'm gonna pick a song for you." I'm like, "Linny." She goes, "You don't have to choose it. Let me pick the song for you." So she found one that has. Uh, you know, no sort of rights issues. And she showed up on set and it was like the perfect song. And I, I had a composer lined up. So it wasn't like we were both under the understanding. I didn't have to use it, but there was no way I wasn't going to use it. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah, she nailed it. But, yeah. but after they did the costume, they went out, they hit it off so much, Flo and, and Linny, that 
that they went and hit a patio right after and sent me pictures of them having drinks. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have gone. That sounds great. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, excellent. So we're going to pass that down. So for the, the actors, you know, in, in front of me. So when doing a period piece and everywhere you look, you know, as far as what we see, you know, you have these old buildings. Everybody is in full costume. How has that differed from some of the other work you have done where maybe you're using contemporary clothing and now what that process of getting into character when you are wearing period appropriate costuming? I think especially because the costumes were broken down so authentically, you you do feel like you're they are such an aid to finding your character, to finding how your character moves and, and breathes in the world. And especially because I could breathe in this costume in a way that I couldn't in a lot of other costumes. And that went as well with hair and makeup. We, I think we all showed up and, you know, if there was makeup, it was removed. And if and dirt was applied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or <laughs> I like it. You show up on set with some makeup. They're like, no, we need dirt for today. So I have a theater background. Um, and I actually found the period nature of the piece so easy to connect to with my theatre background. I did a lot of classic theatre and Shakespeare and all that sort of thing and I felt it far easier to play within that realm um, than sometimes I do with you know contemporary modern day pieces just because I feel like it's sort of more in my blood and it was everything down to like all of the details of the piece was amazing and as you said the the makeup and getting your teeth yellowed and your nails blackened and you know just getting so dirty and filthy it just made it so much more raw and real and you didn't have to be perfect and I didn't I gave no hoots about what I looked like and it was just so much more freeing than other things that I had done. Just allowing you to actually live in that character as opposed to kind of portraying that character. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Luvia. Yeah, I second what Catherine said. I love it when I get dirt on my face and I'm wearing, um, you know, really gritty dirty clothes it it makes me feel like I have more swag and I get to play a lot more and I don't have to be perfect so I can fail gloriously and it still serves the story and the character whereas some of the more contemporary stuff that I'm happy to work on thank you um a living is great but it's just a different animal you know it's for me it's less breathing and more focus whereas this I just I didn't even know the cameras were rolling. I just felt free. Yeah, well said. Yeah, well said. I think for me, um, I don't want to call myself a lazy actor, but I find that, (laughs) I mean, maybe I The movie is already made. The director is here. You can go ahead. But honestly, (laughs) I just felt like, like, as leading up to it, I kept thinking, well, there's more I should be doing. I should be doing more research. I kind of felt a little bit scared and kind of freaked out and desperate. Like, there was something I should have been doing that would give me the key to what I was supposed to, how I was supposed to act. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so at one point, I just went, you're just going to have to trust it. You're just going to have to surrender. And so for me, once you put on that costume, it was like 60% of the work was done. I was just like, okay, here's Doc, you know? And then I had my natural just wild curls, which was great, and just no makeup. And that was great, as you say, freeing and liberating. And then just the spurs. and All of a sudden, I just knew how to move. I knew how to walk. I knew how to talk. And then when you have a great script... And then that's the other 40% of it. And then between those two and kind of just throwing us like a, just a gentle southern twang on it, I was like, oh, here we are. And I just, and then I was like, okay, we're going to be okay. Do you know what I mean? Because I was a little, you know, these are iconic characters. You don't, you don't, you know, yeah. walk no up pressure. like, you know, Doc <laughs> right. Holly, no big deal. <laughs> no one's ever heard of him. Mm. You know, no. you know, there are definitely not you know. 50 so movies exactly, made, you know, exactly. with those characters. So I was a little bit, I, I was kind of a just, I just didn't, 
I just didn't know what my way in was going to be. And once I showed up on set, saw this incredible Western town, threw on my costume, and then we just had these guns. It was just, yeah, it, it was just there. It was just the it, guns were a big part of they it. They were too. huge. They were huge. Yeah. It yeah. Just, there's it, definitely some some gunplay involved in this and some gun twirling. So with that, was that something that any of you had any experience with as far as again historical, you know, six shooter type of things or anything? It's just one of those special skills that I never thought I'd have the opportunity to to add to my my lived experience and it was such a joy to to have this door opened up that I would never have even imagined could open up with with the western gunplay. Yeah, she had moves too. She, she I noticed, had, yeah. You had yeah, moves no, too. No, um, so my family um, owns property. I'm from Australia, if you can't tell. Um, and we own property. I thought that was just the Burnby accent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, and so like growing up on farms and riding horses and all of that sort of thing, I, I do have a bit of experience in that way, but not at the speed in which we were right. having to do those things. And um, we had the wonderful opportunity um, of working with, the Thunderbirds um, and they spent basically almost a whole day with us training us on the very technical elements um, and the responsibility um, of gun handling and how to draw properly um, and all of those sorts of things and they were wonderful and they were incredibly patient so um, generous and yeah kind. and so supportive as well um, you know still to this day I think there are some of them here today for the screening and things um, but it was it was scary at first and then very empowering in a very weird way. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it a little <laughs> bit. I don't know if I want to say that, but it was, yeah, it was good. Just a quick note about the Thunderbird mm -hmm. Fast Draw Club. A lot of people don't realize that in Langley, BC, there's an actual uh, shootist club that specializes in Western Fast Draw. So it's about hitting a target but um, some of the fastest people in the world live here. So, wow. um, for instance, Sean Murphy and, uh, and Nicole Franks draw between 2.8 and, and 3.2 seconds. Well, you blink in 2.6. <laughs> so it's not just that they the draw. The whole blink draw, and you miss it type they, of thing. Yeah. So they draw and they hit the target. It's not just that you draw. So, um, you know, we had, a, we had a day with them. The production team unofficially teamed it uh, Sunday Funday Gun Day. Because awesome. And, uh, and we couldn't have done it without them. They were fantastic. One of the other aspects, you know, and some of you touched on it also, you know, it was not just the costuming. One of the things that always happens, or not always, but frequently happens with historical pieces, whether it is Vikings or something, where people look way prettier than they would be in that time period. And so with this one, I really appreciated, you know, the yellow teeth, you know, like Luvia, you had one of your teeth was a lot darker, uh, you know, and so it was things like that. The hair was just kind of, you know, I talked about just kind of loose. Those little aspects, again, made it feel like a true lived in world as opposed to kind of, you know, a typical period piece. So, again, that was just impressive for for all of you nice. or from all nice. of you. I'm so glad that you got that. I feel like that was a, a collaborative effort too between all of us um, actors because I would I would look over at you know Johanna or, or one of these uh, awesome actors in the makeup chair and be like no make me dirtier than them <laughs> and then you know they would one up and I'd be like no I want to be I should be the dirtiest <laughs> I mean like I gotta set the bar for more grease in my hair and <laughs> and it was darker great. teeth and darker yeah. teeth and 
And so they gave me... You still look, managed to look super hot. Oh, so. <laughs> thanks. Uh, but, like, they gave me permission to go there. You know what I mean? If I was sitting, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked if one of us was like, no, I'm going to need my eyelashes curled. Right. And, you know, and so on yeah. and so forth. So it, that was a real collaborative team effort, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we all agreed that that was what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Doc had to look sick. So that was an added little bonus there. Yeah, that was definitely, that was another interesting, yeah. Yeah. you know, angle, yeah. you know, that we got to see. Because, yeah, uh, Doc looks a little bit rough yeah. uh, in, in yep. this film. Yep. Yep. Yeah, she does. Yep. Yeah, not long for this world. So, you know, with this production, how is this different in terms of empowerment versus some of the other projects you have done? I think what we were just talking about is really empowering. Um, what Luvia said about needing to feel perfect. I feel like, you know, women, I, I think a lot of women relate to that feeling of needing to be perfect. And, and a lot of that has to do with how we look. And there's so many other productions. And again, grateful for them. But sometimes you go in and I'm like, wow, I don't think my hair and makeup look this good on my wedding day. You know, like there's <laughs> right. a lot that goes into um, certain looks. And, and it... At the same time, I want to live in a world where I can look on the screen and see women who have no makeup on and who don't have their hair done and who are dirty and messy and who age naturally and like all of these beauty standards that we have had imposed on us. I, I'd love to watch them keep breaking down and I know it's happening and it was really empowering to be a part of a film that offered that. Yeah, and, and for me, I think representation matters and sometimes you don't even realize how hungry you are for something until you see it. Like, I remember, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in a very, you know, liberal feminist family. I, you you kind of think, well, you know, there's, I'm, I'm good. I've, I don't know. And then you see something and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I felt that way about Wonder Woman. Like, it really affected me deeply. Uh, that I, I don't know. That I, it was just, I, I felt emotional when I watched Wonder Woman. Um, and I, f I think that in some ways, y you know, it's harder for me to be objective about this one, but, but I was, but I, because I was in it. But I, there was something that happened to me when I was watching this that I was like, oh, this is different. This is new. I haven't seen this before. And it felt really exciting and, and dangerous and delicious. And yeah, just to see women in those roles. We don't typically get to see that. I just, it was ex exciting. Yeah, I think Sharon Stone in The Quick and the Dead is, is one of the closest ones where that was something where, yeah, she looked dirty. You know, she looked like a woman who was living that life in that time period would have looked. So, um, yeah, that's some of one of the best lines ever. You're pretty, you're not, is in, is in that film. Um, I, I think the reality of it is we're all awakening up to the potential of what female characters can be and should be. And, and I think we talk about this now as being sort of unique, but, you know, a month ago I was reading an article where they found, you know, they had found these four, um, you know, uh, bodies in, I think it was Georgia. They were, you know, a couple of thousand years old, it, you know, had weaponry and they had headdresses and all sorts. And, and they'd been doing this dig, uh, these archaeologists had done these dig, and they thought, oh, look, male warriors. And then they eventually did DNA testing. They found out they were female warriors. So my argument for this is, don't look at this and think this isn't real. We have no idea these women couldn't have existed. We just know we don't have an historical record that women like this didn't exist. Booyah. So. Booyah. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to add another thing in terms of the female empowerment, and I think that this is a comment on Michelle's skill with the writing, was the fact that 
in this film, the idea of female empowerment and these strong women, there wasn't, it just was. And there wasn't a big song and dance about it. We, you know, the writing wasn't hitting us over the head with these these strong, you know, like sometimes when we see it in current television and things that it's just, it's just so much, whereas this just was. And I think that that's what the power of, of this piece actually was in. My One of my favorite lines in our film, and I said this to you the other night, Michelle, was um, a woman's got to do what a woman's got to do. I expect you know something about that. And they look at each other with this knowing. And I got goosebumps because I was like, oh, yeah, that line really resonates at a completely different level than the way I'm used to hearing it about right. men. <laughs> Um, you know, we give birth, we, not all of us, but many, you know, we have that capability. We, I mean, we, we stand side by side. We, we've endured so much and we're climbing out of a, a new feminist wave and it's, it's exciting times. I've actually been at a festival where a woman pulled me aside and said, and recounted that line in particular. And she was like, the meaning of that for her was quite profound, you know? At the flip side is, there's a line also in the film where, you know, a character says, I'm counting on a good breakfast when I'm done killing her. And, and I look around and there are in particular men who cringe because really? they're not used to hearing women be that upfront, you know, about doing something that m in a Western a man would take ownership for. For sure. That, that dastardly a deed. And, and, we, and uh, it's really amazing how many men I've seen cringe on that one line. And it says something about, and we've talked about this, Julie Lynn and I, um, I, the more I watch film after this experience, how much of our dialogue is actually genderized. It's not the character that's just genderized. We're, we're, we're genderizing dialogue in a way that maybe we shouldn't be. On my end of things, I grew up in a house with three sisters and my mom. So four of the strongest, most independent women I have ever known. And so watching films like this, again, it just reminds me of that strength, reminds me of that independence. So it was just incredible to see. And then what are the plans for it kind of after the Vancouver Short Film Festival? So in March, we come back to Vancouver with another festival, uh, Vancouver International Women in Film. Oh, awesome. Uh, at the same weekend, we'll be screening in Las Cruces, New Mexico at Las Cruces International Film Festival. And then in April, we go back to Texas to San Angelo Revolution. And, uh, and then we just continue to wait for the next round after that. So this is the first quarter's kind of spoken for. And uh, we hope to run our festival run into the fall and then find our way online some way. Fantastic. And one day, Michelle creates the further expansion of the yeah. Last Stand universe. We, we, I would personally love to see us be the answer to, you know, Godless on Netflix. I'd like to see us go that route. Um, I noticed that, yeah, very early when we were talking, you said the Last Stand universe. So you were already putting those building blocks out there. I mean, well, have we already used the word pr proof of concept? <laughs> yes, we have. Okay, okay. Um, and what would be great about building the universe is we can now build the layers and the colors of the universe. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't really do it on 15 minutes. If you're making a comment about gender, you switch the gender. But, but, and that's it. And then you made your comment on gender. But if we can build the universe, we can build the variables, we can, we can start to show other people's journeys as well, because now we're in a fantastical world where we've already changed the major dynamic. So let's change the whole vision and let's see what it says. Well, yeah, so thank you so much, Michelle, for just creating this vision of just these strong female characters. It was incredible to see. So 
Uh, and then how about we just go around and you can say where people can follow your individual work on social media and see all of the projects that you are working on. How about we start with Michelle? Uh, you can find me on uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram on Paisley Media 1 and Paisley Media 2, but you can find Last Stand to Nowhere on uh, Facebook as uh, Last Stand to Nowhere, a female Western. You can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram as Last Stand Number 2 Nowhere. Uh, and please follow and please support because what helps us build towards bigger and more projects is showing that we have an audience. Um, my, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My Instagram is Kat Lonsdale and my Twitter is Ms. Kat Lonsdale. And I tweet about very random stupid things. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Julie Lynn underscore JLM and on Instagram, Julie Lynn Mortensen. Joe, I apologize for hitting you with the mic. <laughs> <laughs> if only this were a video uh, medium, because there was a really great moment where you tried to help Julie Lynn. You tried to handle the mic. You just that it wasn't loud, but I guess it was. <laughs> Sorry. And you hit her right in the face, and it was awesome. Just, just eating mics over here. Um, uh, so let's see. Instagram, Johanna Newmarch. Facebook, Johanna Newmarch. Uh, Twitter, Joe Newmarch, just because you're not allowed that many characters on Twitter. Um, and IMDb, if you want to, for any of us, if you want to see a list of our credits. Oh, absolutely. That's probably the best place to see all the things that we've all participated in over the years. So, yeah. Yeah, you can just Google Luvia Peterson and I will appear to you magically <laughs> <laughs> in all forms. In like an orb or something? <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> I'll just show up. I'll be right next to you. Excellent. Um, I just wanted to say one thing. Uh, it's wonderful to have you acknowledge and thank Michelle for writing strong female characters. And I look forward to the day where it's just thanks for writing female characters do you know what I mean where it's like we don't have to quantify that they're strong Absolutely. women are strong um, and we're getting there it's getting closer and closer um, but yeah this is how we get there so thanks Michelle and, and thank you so much for responding I mean you know it, it's a two-way street so let's it's but I like you know I feel like you saw us you got us you appreciated us and you you were you responded to the clarion call, and, and, and thank you so much for that. Absolutely. So I have been sitting down with the writer-director and several members of the cast of The Last Stand to Nowhere. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. So the film was about a brother and sister who live together, and after a night of drinking, partying, and tequila, the sister finds her brother's dead body and also his ghost. And he asks a big request of her, and she has to carry that out throughout the film. Fantastic. Yes. That was very good. <laughs> well, like, that was, that Did was I give away too tight. much? No, you, that was tight. Yeah, that was tight. I think that definitely also, coming from the theater background, you learn to be very succinct with things. <laughs> yes, and enunciate. Hopefully that comes across. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bigger crowd. This is the biggest crowd we've had for the film, so... Maybe that Obviously. energy will also help. <laughs> Who knows what film will be preceding ours? That could yes. that could make a difference as well. And but also the fact that it's screening at 1.30 p.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> like I'm, I love that. But it probably would be different if it was screening at 9 p.m. tonight, after people have had a lot of drinks or whatever. So after today, what are the plans for this film? Are you guys doing kind of a larger festival run? Are you going to kind of decide after today what the plan is? We're, we're in the festival circuit right now, so we have been since probably June, June last year, but this is our, we have got into one festival, but 
they're not screening us. I don't. I don't actually know. It's a very bizarre festival. It's an honorary selection. Oh, uh, the Canada okay. Shorts on the East Coast. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm not yeah. actually. They don't have any social media. I don't know what's going on with them. But um, <laughs> so technically, this is our first world. But you premiere. can add it to your laurels. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thank you to them. Yeah. yeah. Woohoo. Um, but we're we're waiting to hear back from quite a few festivals, and we have heard back and not been accepted into a few already. Um, as this is my first experience putting a, sh a film into a festival that's my own work, I found it quite frustrating. <laughs> um, very, impa very impatient here. I mean, <laughs> Different we part were of just, the process than you are used to. <laughs> yes, I think we, Justin and I were just talking just now that it's almost a year to date since we shot the film. And we are finally premiering. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're in festivals. We're waiting to hear back. We've got a, about... I don't know, we're probably about 11 festivals to hear back from at the moment, um, all within the next kind of few months. And then we'll probably submit to some more. Um, and then, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe probably release it online after. Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of swearing, so I don't think it's anything that we could maybe pitch to, like, CBC. I don't know. No, I, I, We're I, having our business meeting right now on a podcast. Yeah, right. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather just people see it. I'd rather yeah, it just exactly. be online and everyone see it. So the more people that can see it, then it's like job done, right? Uh, for me, anyway. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it was definitely interesting, and I wanted to give you props, Annabelle, for kind of some heavy lifting in that, that third act of the film. Because as we talked about, you know, there was this kind of transition from dark comedy to then very emotional change. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about the festivals and, and everything, and you think about kind of the places you had to go in this film to kind of get motivated in that scene, do those same motivations carry you through when you get frustrated with the festival circuit? Well, I don't uh, go... It's very, a bit of different emotions. I'm more angry <laughs> with... Uh, <laughs> The, the festival circuit. You should watch her Instagram stories sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, promote my Instagram. Right. Um, I, I love polarizing stuff and I love big emotions and swinging people because that's what I like watching. So, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've been emotional with the festival circuit stuff, um, but nowhere near as emotional as in the film. But it's... I love it. I love doing that kind of work. That very sort of visceral, raw, raw energy, primal almost stuff. I find that really exciting. So I hope other people do too, I guess. Yeah, it was just know. it was a really good and noticeable switch with your character. You know, oh, and okay. both of you did that same type of thing because you were both that, you know, last act, you know, of this short film after being this, you know, funny dark comedy it then transitions and becomes pretty intense. Yeah, that was actually a bit tough with that last sort of couple of scenes because we shot uh, the majority of that scene on our first day late in the day. And uh, then we had to do some pickups 9 a.m. the next morning. Oof. <laughs> and so to get back to that place... It was fine because I was very tired. And when I'm tired, I'm relaxed. And when I'm relaxed, I will cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. So we are good to go. But it was still a little, like, rough. It Just, was pretty rough. It yeah. was pretty rough. So um, we got there. And I'm proud of it. I think it looks good. That yeah, it works. Yeah. It's, we'll see. 
hopefully everyone's into it. <laughs> yes, and we're, I'm just glad that we had Mel and Kristen who understood that aspect of the script. Yes. Um, I actually had a lot of conversations with them about the emotionality and um, motivations of things. Um, I was like, is this clear? And they're like, no. It's clear. We get it. You don't have to explain this any more than what it is. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Mel was fantastic um, with that for... Um, discussing character motivations, even our choices in onesies in the film is based on character traits and yeah. how yeah how we identify with our characters and yeah she, she's she's amazing Mel like honestly I I can't say anything she's just incredible if anyone has a chance anyone's listening Melanie B Melanie. Jones nobody is going to listen to this it is they fine. will be listening <laughs> <laughs> I'll be promoting it they will be listening yeah. <laughs> so. I'm glad you brought up the onesies because that was kind of one of my final questions. And this is kind of an existential question. What would be that outfit that you would wear when you die? How you were dis Justin's character is very disappointed in the film that that was the <laughs> outfit that he is going to be wearing in the afterlife. So what would your choice of outfit Ooh. be? Oh. For me? I know for you. It's going to be pink with uh, frills or Very close. or what's that Basically. thing? What's you've that, guessed it. You've already guessed it. I know, but what's that material? Like kind of like it's kind of seventies, like kind of like like a shade carpet. I don't know, like, like velvet. No, maybe velvet, but like no. it's like those like you know what I mean, like those little finger things, like they're like tassels, tassels almost, pink tassels that you can turn around. Anyway, I was Tina gonna Turnery. say flamingo, anyway, sorry guys. flamingo onesie for sure. Got to go out with a bang. Okay. Oh, I. My graduation tuxedo was the most comfortable thing I ever wore in my life. It was rented. I never wanted to take it off. I know it's so formal, but you <laughs> can get away with so much in a tuxedo. Tuxedos. Have you ever worn a tuxedo? Noel is wearing a tuxedo on the plane home. <laughs> what? Wait, what? back to Australia? My fiance is that wearing... That is a long flight. That better be a comfortable he, tuxedo. He, it's hilarious. He thinks that suits are the most comfortable thing and they the most breathable well, thing to wear. Tuxedos. Okay, well, he's not. I don't think a tuxedo, but he's wearing a suit. It's literally here. Anyway. Wow. He's probably wearing it today. Are you guys taking a Zeppelin? You know, do, like, do you guys need to dress up for oh my this? my God. Wait, I what wish. would you wear? So my afterlife, out, it would definitely have to be comfortable. Uh, I love hoodies. If I could wear yes. hoodies every single day. Yes. You'd do that. So, yeah, something, yeah, a hoodie, nice like pants. Like a Snuggie. Something to keep you nice and snug. Not a Snuggie. No, those no? are weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but just like a nice, just like super fleecy hoodie. Yeah, fleece. Yeah. Breathable. Absolutely. Even though you're dead, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, great. Cool. So where can people find both of you on social media? If the film has its own social media, definitely plug that as well. But Annabelle, how about we start with you on social media? Uh, you can find me on, uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram under Annabelle underscore McLean. Um, I do have Twitter, but I hate Twitter, so whatever. Um, and then I'm, I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, I do have a Facebook actor page as Annabelle McLean actor um, and a private page but you won't find me there <laughs> um, and Death of the Party is on uh, Facebook as well under Death of the Party film so if you just look that up that's there um, we don't have an Instagram or Twitter yet for the film so yeah you just follow along there and I am on Twitter and Instagram at Justin Mustin M-U-S-T-I-N. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so Justin and Annabelle, the actors, and Justin also wrote it, and you both executive produced it. The film is Death of the Party. 
Uh, thank you both for taking the time to sit down with me. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. That was fun. Some very <laughs> cute questions. I enjoyed that. I do what I can. I it's do what good. I can. It's good. Okay, cool. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Joining me now is the writer and director of the film Sweet Release, Michelle Neal. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So as we talked about uh, right before we started, so with Sweet Release, this is the first time that you have directed your own words. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So yeah. definitely, yeah, talk about the story behind the film and what the film was about and also the differences between directing your own words versus what you have done before. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story is based on someone I know who had a DNR, but, uh, paramedics don't always know about that. So they worked on her and then she was put on machines and her family is not taking her off the machines. So I basically was like, what if there was no death in the world? And then the short really focuses on two people who are experiencing that world. And then the feature explains why there's no death. And, uh, the difference between directing my own writing versus someone else's, Uh, First of all, I'm so honored whenever people ask me to direct their writing. I am like, wow, you are giving me a gift. I am so grateful. Uh, And but when I did my own, I found that I found there was a freedom in it that I hadn't felt previously because I'd only ever directed other people's writing previously where I just was able to, uh, well, I knew the writer. It was me. And so I was <laughs> Weird. <able to laughs> I was kind of waiting. I was like, I knew the writer. Where is she going with this? <laughs> um, and I'm, I made a joke on set that I was going to, I cut a scene actually um, on set. I just felt that we already had that beat. And so I just felt the freedom to be like, you know what? Moving on. We don't need it. And I, I made the joke. I know the writer. I know the writer's going to be pissed, but whatever. I'll have, I'll have words with her later. Um, but it, yeah, so it was very, very free, freeing, I guess is the word. I mean, I can definitely understand how that would be a challenge in another situation where, you know, you are on set, you are directing, the writer might be there also. And if you make the decision, the executive decision as a director to make that cut, there is a whole conversation that starts to happen versus here. Yeah, you're able to just be like, OK, I know the true vision of this. Here we go. Yes. So what's so cool is I just directed another short a few weeks ago and uh, the writer producer of that one. uh, Now I know. And so I just upfront said to her, please, once you give it to me, give me the freedom to if we're on set and I make that executive decision, just trust me, because now I know that that's what I need to to really follow the story. And I'm maybe not everyone's that way. But and then she said she she gave me that freedom and then uh, we didn't have to cut any scenes. Everything was wow. great. We, sh- we shot everything plus plus. Um, and, but uh, now I know to ask for that upfront. And uh, yeah, so it did, it taught me a lot actually. Well, yeah. and especially again, communication is so key in those moments where before the project starts, so that way it is not a weekend to, you know, shooting some B roll or something and be like, by the way, <laughs> I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z, as opposed to just right beforehand, putting it out there on Front Street and just having that conversation. I think that is really important. I'm glad that this experience with Sweet Release gave you that confidence to have that initial conversation, because that 
is a scary conversation to have. Yeah, but I, I have found throughout the years of working with creative people, the more upfront I can be, the more it gives them the power to make their own decision about whether or not they want to work with me. And I really love when other people are upfront with me back and in return so that everybody comes onto the set and they know what is being asked of them and what they're everyone's okay with. Basically, clear boundaries are a beautiful thing. That's basically <laughs> what I go for. <laughs> yes, that is always a good thing. <laughs> so the two characters in this film that we see, you know, that are the main driving force, there's a third character, you know, who's in there a little bit, but these two women who are in this relationship and we see the various stages, you know, of their relationship, we get these kind of flashbacks to when things were, were better, you know, and then we see kind of the reality of where they are at that moment. So talk about kind of that juxtaposition and how important it was to kind of tell both sides of their relationship. Yeah, well, so Sweet Release, for me, investigates life as well as death, uh, but not death from the dead person's perspective, but death from the person who is left behind. And what happens is they become almost just, they're still a part of us, and we live on in the way that other people remember us and those moments. And I really wanted to highlight those very normal moments. Um, there are some of my favorites with my partner where, you know, we'll just kiss. Uh, it'll just be a kiss, or it'll be a moment, or it'll be a good morning, and the person might have morning breath, but you love them anyway. And, that, like, things like that. I wanted to really look at the things that the person who's left behind remembers about their lost loved one and play with that with throughout the movie where you're not sure you're not sure where you're at maybe with that person because I find that sometimes grief does that to us where you know you go to clean up something and it's a cup that reminds you of that person who's gone and all of a sudden you're just assaulted by memories um, and it's almost like time is irrelevant because you're reliving those memories with that human, but they're gone, so it's so bittersweet. So I was trying to capture that. And it definitely came through. Oh, because good. as we get those moments where, you know, we see one of the characters, I mean, literally on her deathbed, you know, there again, we get little snippets of maybe it is not her deathbed, and maybe there is something else happening. But we get that moment, again, juxt juxtaposed, with them in bed together and just smiling at each other or just holding hands. And that, so yeah, it definitely, it played, you know, and, and it worked well. <laughs> Good. I'm really glad. <laughs> there was something that I wanted to shoot from the very beginning and we got it. And it's um, the moment where she is touching her arm mm -hmm. and it's in a similar position to when she's giving her, like she's cleaning her arm with a cloth. And I just wanted to juxtapose like, little things like that and highlight that human moment and then that moment when she's sick and you're taking care of her and how they're kind of the same moment but they're such different flavors so that was like always in my brain as a part of the movie that I really wanted to show so well when we get that moment yeah we, in one of the opening scenes you know I remember that moment you know when they're in bed and you get that arm motion and then towards the end you know we see that again in a different context so one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, and you and I mentioned, talked about this before we were recording, the sound design. Oh, yeah. And the music and just how that really drives a lot of the movie because it gets very intense, especially as we talked about, seeing it on the big screen in a theater is very intense. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, Ula Costet was the sound designer. This is the third time I've worked with him. He is incredible. We have such a good working relationship. It's almost like sometimes I feel like I'll just try and explain a feeling and then he comes back with it. And it's so amazing. He also did the music. So he did the sound design and the music. Wow. I know. And I had um, taken a uh, piece of music from Arrival and then he, I had uh, underlaid it with the editor, Erilyn Barrett, um, and we had used this piece of music and then uh, Ula shared with me that he was inspired by that very piece of music to write his own piece of music and that's what we use in the movie. So he had done that kind of independent, but then it was so perfect for the movie. And the wind in the movie is an, its own character. Um, and I go into more detail in the feature about how the wind plays a role. But in the short, it's really just a flavor. And when you're in that theater and you can hear the wind, and I know that I'm foreshadowing for people, but they don't know that I'm foreshadowing with the wind. And then at the end, like someone came up to me just now earlier and they were like, oh, my God, the wind was so cool. And I'm like, I know, because it's its <laughs> own character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. And especially, I mean, it sounds like this was a very collaborative you know, process. Of course, you pulling double duty as writer and director, and then your sound you know, mixer and doing the music, like those types of working relationships where, I mean, granted, in indie filmmaking, everybody is wearing 50 hats at any given time. But especially, and it sounds like with this film, you know, those kind of double duties really mattered, especially when that working relationship is something that has been established multiple times in multiple projects before. Yeah, absolutely. I really love the collaborative aspect of film. As much as I ask for that freedom to make the changes, that's really just to deal with what's happening on the day because in general with indie film, actually with film in general, film and TV, things tend to go sideways sometimes. So, And it is up the, to the director to make that executive decision in that moment with the best tools that they have. And so I'm just basically asking like, trust me with your story and I will make the best decision that's possible with what's going on in the moment. Other than that though, I love collaborating. I love having all the input, especially during pre-production and then post. When we're on set, uh, there's an efficiency to just having one final voice of final say. And I think that is the only reason to have any sort of hierarchy is just to so that someone can say we're moving on we're doing this but otherwise it's so collaborative and that collaboration is so so important and that is what elevated this movie almost every department brought a yes and attitude to this film and everybody who was working on it was just like elevating it so much and my job was really just to let that happen and put it together and make sure it's cohesive but Awesome. And then touching on what you have mentioned a few times, this being the short version, and you are working on a feature, it sounds like, of this same concept. So talk a little bit about that and kind of what is in the pipeline for that. Um, yeah, so I received a Women in the Director's Chair mentorship with the feature film, and then through that, I was given some development money from CBC, and so currently we're at the development stage, and then going forward, uh, we'll definitely be getting some funding for the feature. Um, did you want to hear more about the story elements of the feature, or more about where we're at with that process? Or? Both. Go Both. for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one thing is, I'm I'm... 
I like to just do things. And I have found with the feature that there's so many stops and starts that keep happening. (laughs) And I have heard from so many people that that is super normal Mm -hmm. and to just, you know, just go with it. Um, so that's that's been a really cool experience to learn how to be patient while still doing whatever I can do to push it forward. And uh, I'm really I'm really grateful that CBC has come on as a partner. And then story wise, I go into more of the world. So like the short focuses on two characters who are experiencing the world, but the feature explores the world aspect. I still keep it very contained to a because I like the human element but in the future I'm able to explore like why is there no death what's going on who is stopping death Uh, how do they get it back are they going to decide to give it back or not you know all of that whereas in the short I allude to a lot of things but there's no no nothing's really explained because it's a short film right yeah I mean yeah you have limited time (laughs) to explore all of those different aspects so I'm excited that you not only have the plans for it, but you have the funding in place that it is moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that a lot of indie filmmakers, when they do a short, they use kind of that as a pitch deck almost for a feature. And sometimes that just does not happen. It is kind of just the nature of being a creator. So I'm excited that not only did you have the idea for a feature, it is moving forward. You have great partners, you have funding, and that is exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, yeah. I am also, it's funny because I'm thinking about what I'm allowed to talk about and not allowed to talk about with (laughs) regards to the feature. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I was sitting on the CBC News for a little while before they announced. And then when they announced, uh, I was like, oh, I get to talk about that now. So there's there's a few things like that that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't talk about that yet because we haven't announced. Uh, But I, I, and I'm, uh, what did I want to say? Oh, with the short film and with all my shorts, they become their own thing. Like they move on and they just become their own thing. And I felt that screening this today, I was like, this is its own movie. Like it doesn't belong to me. It, and it, it, in a way it belongs to everybody who worked on it, but really now it belongs to the audience. And I, I got really excited that someday my feature might get there where it no longer belongs to me and it's no longer mine. It now belongs to the audience and they all get to have their own experience of it. So I was sort of re-inspired today while watching the short where I was like, right, this could happen with a longer version. Very, not very soon in a year, probably. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, So let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can follow the short film if it has its own social media and yeah, where they can follow this project. I'm really bad at remembering my <laughs> social media handles. Fair. But my website is michelleneal.com. Oh, that is easy. Yeah. And yeah. Michelle <laughs> is spelled M-E-E-S-H-E-L-L-E-N-E-A-L.com. Yeah. michelleneal.com is my website. And there's there's links to a bunch of stuff on there. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for, for sitting down with me. I've been sitting down with the writer and director <laughs> of Sweet Release, Michelle Neal. Thank you so much for having me. Of <laughs> this course. <was> fun. <laughs> Joining me in my studio <laughs> by the fireplace. Oh, the fireplace not even Aww. on. Man, I need to have them turn the fireplace on. That would be, you know, it would be glowing. It would be. Yeah. <laughs> but joining me is my friend and fantastic filmmaker and actor and writer and director, Annette Riley. Yay! Welcome officially to being on the, the show. First time! I'm yeah. so excited. Yay! Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So your film playing this weekend mm-hmm. is a typical fairy tale. Yep. Which is anything but typical. <laughs> so tell people about your film. 
so basically, it is a fairy tale where uh, everything's in rhyme, quite quirky mm-hmm. and cute. And we've taken a bunch of these fairy tale elements and uh, made it into a, a bit non-typical, mm-hmm. atypical, if you will, uh, story where we have a trans child that comes into the mix. And uh, it's it breaks the expectations that the parents had about their typical fairy tale life. Uh, so it's the parents really dealing with it, coming at it from their perspective rather than the child's perspective. One of the things that struck me right off the bat with your film, the color dynamics. So the color dynamics and the lighting of this film yeah. are phenomenal. So tell me about that process. Well, right from the get-go, um, I've, I've, I should start. This was in development for about a year and a half before we got the funding uh, from Story Hive, okay. uh, which was Shout partial out to Story funding. Hive. Yeah, thank you, Story <laughs> Hive. Yay! Um, which they're great to work with. And uh, then myself and my husband, we funded the remaining amount. But my vision that had come to it was very Disney esque mm-hmm. um, with Wes Anderson flavors. So I could definitely m- see that. Marrying those two two things, really highly stylized, and taking a lot of my theater training actually, and making it more of a two dimensional plane rather than a three dimensional plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wanted to do with this was play with gender dynamics and 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 what the gender norms are in our society. Pink being girls, blues being boys, mm-hmm. obviously. And that the two, the, the king and queen who meet and get married, very much live within those standard, typical gender roles. Mm-hmm. Sherry represents the pink, Larry represents the blue, and then they have a child that is completely removed from what those societal norms are. And they don't know how to deal with that. One of the things, I mean, that you talked about, the Wes Anderson style, mm-hmm. because, yeah, I mean, everything you just said absolutely plays. You know, in the film, you do these side pans where you're going from mm-hmm. room to room with just this divider in the middle, which, again, Wes Anderson does in all of his things. Oh, yeah. But it was just like, it was just <laughs> this really subtle pan, again, yeah. playing more or shooting more like a play versus a movie where you might pan around to the door or something like this, but just yeah. doing a straight pan across where we start in one room and then we start to see the split between the two. Yeah. So when it came to production design, so what were the struggles or challenges with that type of shooting? Well, it was, it was interesting. Um, what I had really wanted to create was a dollhouse image. Okay. So I really wanted to do two stories, just like what Wes Anderson had done with his boat. Mm-hmm. In uh, Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Life Aquatic uh, with thank Steve Zissou. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, so, But uh, with such a small budget, we couldn't... It was a stretch just to build it the one story. So uh, we, we couldn't afford to do the structural build to be able to have two floors safely and be able to pan between floors right, as well. Right. So uh, we we ended up just with the, the the one level, and we had the top of the house on one side of... We built it in a gym, an old school gym. Awesome. So on one side of the gym was the top floor. The other side of the gym was the bottom floor. And we didn't have ceilings in our sets. Okay. So we had to... Re- we couldn't be tilting the camera up, or else yeah. we wouldn't... We would see the top of the gym right. instead of You'd see a basketball yeah, hoop. exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly it and all the lights that we've set up and um so the staircase too it mm-hmm. goes to nowhere so we could only we had to cut these scenes at certain points and it really ended up limiting 
a lot of the camera movements that you would typically use mm -hmm. in in normal filmmaking but that also gave us the opportunity where there's limits you have to uh, invoke your creativity so that that was um actually more of an enjoyable part of the process because we got to figure stuff out and problem solve so naeem sutherland who's mm -hmm. the dop him and i got to sit down and really examine well how do we use these sets within the limitations that we've been given so that was, it was fun. There was a couple shots that were very challenging because of it, but yeah. I can imagine that. <laughs> now, because of that type of shooting that you were doing with kind of two major sets, mm -hmm. did a lot of time go into storyboarding and really kind of laying out your shot selection? You know, I think for myself, again, because the development period was so long, I had such a clear image of what I wanted. It took... Um, I mean, I had a really great meeting with our production designer, Mo, who was very much on the same page as me and and uh, was able to take my idea of this dollhouse and then just enhance it to the next level. And then Naeem was able to take my color schemes and, and these thoughts and uh, bring this extra man magic to everything. I'm a huge believer uh, as a leader, as a director. I think everything works better if... You can give them a clear idea of what you want, mm -hmm. but let them use their skill set and their training to enhance. Mm -hmm. Like that's that film is such a collaborative industry and 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 artistry. Uh, if if people are being repressed and feeling like they can't give what they were made to do, mm -hmm. it makes the whole thing very frustrating so i think it, it's a really nice to be able to go you kick butt at this mm -hmm. so i'm gonna let you fly yeah. here's my i'll hold you back if it's not within the vision that i have but they everybody we were all kind of on the same page and we knew what was what was gonna happen my crew was so fantastic they were really were great and you know uh, taking back to the pans across mm -hmm. uh something i don't know if you noticed it too it it was very much storybook i wanted to read uh, left to right I until that, yeah. the kid was born and then it starts going the opposite direction mm -hmm. because that's when the storybook the typical storybook gets flipped on its head so that's you know little little things yeah. in there that I just take so much delight in <laughs> well and especially like when it comes to the subject matter mm -hmm. you know of these parents dealing you know with the kind of their fairy tale getting flipped on its head you know yeah. and having to you know, start to understand something that they have no base of, no basis for. Yes. So what about this type of story, you know, drew you to it that you knew that you needed to tell? Oh, gosh. Um, when I first read the script, I came out of the room in tears going, this film has to be made. Like, I need to make this film. And I think over the years, uh, thinking about it and why I needed to make it so much is... The story, yes, there is a there is a trans child in this story, and um, we had some lovely involvement from the trans community awesome. uh, on this film. Um, our story editor is trans. One of our actors is trans. Quite often, we'll get commentary from people saying, "Well, why aren't you telling the story about the trans kid? That is, that shouldn't that be where the story is?" And I say, "That is a story, and that mm -hmm. is a story that is being told, and I feel is best." being to be told 
from within the trans community because we need that voice. We need to mm -hmm. hear that voice as mm -hmm. a society very much. And I will support and encourage the trans community and I will be there to help make those movies, mm -hmm. absolutely. But this story in particular is trying to educate the people who don't understand that community. Right. So who are the characters in the film that are lacking understanding? It's the parents. So how do we, uh, we're using those two characters as a tool to educate those people out in the real world mm -hmm. who have no clue about the LGBTQ2 plus community mm -hmm. or, or, you know, think that a trans person is anything but, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's, it's frustrating to me, the, the lack of education. And I've been there too. I grew up in a very small, white, dominant community mm -hmm. and in, in, in central Alberta. And it, like, I had a lot of learning. I had a big learning curve in my life mm -hmm. in all aspects. And it, what needs to happen, though, is the education. There needs Absolutely. to be these stories that flip things on the head and make you see a different perspective. Well, especially, again, the story, you, the story that you felt comfortable telling from your perspective to, again, be an ally, to be a voice, yes. to at least present a story for the certain people to, that will be able to connect to it on that level. And then that might encourage them to do some more research, you know, right. get some more education on that subject matter. And then they can become either an ally in the first place or become better yes. allies. Absolutely. You know, and I can tell you a story. Um, my stepmother actually started reading up about some, uh, I cannot remember for the life of me, I wish I could. Uh, she actually went and bought a book about the LGBTQ community because of the work I've been doing and, and or at least that was an element mm -hmm. of why. And she's like, you know, I need to start understanding. I don't understand this. I need to start understanding this better. So she started going out and educating herself. That is awesome. Which is so fantastic. And that's all I can ask for from something like mm -hmm. this. It's, it's really giving people that spark to, to go out and learn more so that they can be more accepting and inclusive of everybody just the way they are. Yeah. Accepting them for who they are. Imagine that. Imagine such, that. Such an odd concept. What a <laughs> concept. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, a typical fairy tale, you know, is playing here. It has played a couple other places, right? You guys are kind of yeah. in the middle of a circuit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've uh, actually, we've had a great reception down in Seattle. Yeah. yeah. We were at the, uh, the Northwest Film Forum did local sightings. Mm -hmm. That was in September. And then we played the Seattle Queer Film Festival in October. Um, and we are going to be back okay. at the end of February for the Children's Film Festival in awesome. Seattle. Yeah. We're really excited about that one. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Now, what was it like? I mean, like you said, this had been in development for a while. You know, in the middle of this, you know, with Sabrina going on, you went from kind of one type of fairy tale <laughs> to a very different type oh, of, gosh. you know, yeah. dark fairy tale <laughs> type of things. Yeah. Were you working on these at the same time? And yeah. if so, how did you kind of switch gears? Yeah, I was actually. I was also... Um, what was it now? I was working as a first assistant production coordinator on a TV series in Vancouver called The Bletchley Circle San Francisco, uh, which I believe is on Netflix. 
And maybe, actually, I don't know. Oh my gosh, Probably. I should I find mean, that Canadian out. Canadian Netflix, you guys get stuff that we oh, do right. not. Right, so. and likewise, yeah, it's vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I was working on that, and I got cast in, in Sabrina, and then I was going in two, three, sometimes four times a month on that show for the first season, and uh, I, 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 I was prepping a typical fairy tale towards the tail end of my contract with Bletchley Circle. Meanwhile, days here and there, we're going to Sabrina. Mm -hmm. And um, I did have a bit, I think there was about a month and a half where I wasn't in Sabrina and or no it was a month and then I that was basically when Atypical Fairy Tale was filming um, and the funny thing was my husband we weren't married yet at that time mm-hmm. and he had booked a vacation for us unbeknownst to me because he was mm-hmm. going to propose mm-hmm. <laughs> in Paris <laughs> oh okay because yeah. I've always wanted to go to Paris and he found some really then you found out it was Paris Texas and well, you were like oh, wait a wait minute a come minute. on Although Texas is great I <laughs> right. like Texas Texas is, uh, the food there is fantastic there you go people are very friendly <laughs> uh yeah but it was it was we were supposed to fly out two days after we finished filming a typical fairy tale um, as per the contract with Story mm-hmm. Hive, and we had to have everything delivered four weeks later. Oof. So, and we were going to be in Paris for two weeks. So Ooh. I ended up <laughs> editing. I was waking up at 4 a.m. Paris time mm-hmm. to edit uh, with our editor in Vancouver, and I went when she got home from work. So that was that was an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as I landed in Vancouver I went straight to the Sabrina set because I was working again and we were doing episode nine I think at that time and it was just like I it was actually the episode where I'm oh are you allowed spoilers can yeah, I, I mean th- that was this was season one season episode. one yeah, so yeah. that was yeah it was, was a while ago a if you half. haven't watched it yet that's too bad yes <laughs> season uh, yeah so episode nine where I'm in uh, where Sabrina's mom is in the void in the mm-hmm. in in limbo, and it's all smoky and stuff. And I tell you, I had such bad jet lag. Oh, I felt like I was so confused. And the, they're all like, "That was great." I'm like, "I'm just really confused right now in general. I, 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 I don't <laughs> like, know where I am." You nailed it. You're <laughs> totally like, "Oh, nailed thanks. that one." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That is awesome. Like, yeah, that's just jet lag. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So now, now that is your trick. That is your technique. Yeah. Now all you need to do is just get jet lag, <laughs> show up directly on set, and you will be great. That perfect. Yeah. Just like that. I work back best when it's instinctual. You know. There you go. <laughs> awesome. So with a typical fairy tale, you know, in the middle of its run, and going to be in Seattle again soon. Your work on. Sabrina and just so many other things you're doing in your professional oh, yeah. life. Yep. Uh, where can people find where can people find you on social media so they can track Ooh. everything? Well, I'm primarily on Instagram nowadays, I would say. Uh, under it's at Annette Riley Official. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I post most of my stuff there or at least snippets and, and some some links where you can go find the rest of the stuff. Uh, or on Facebook at Annette Riley. Um, gosh, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at online. Okay. I, I honestly, I'm other than scheduling movies and applying for grants and prepping my first feature film. That's, which is amazing. That's a lot of work, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm a mom, so I take care of my kiddo (laughs) as well. Right. (laughs) Somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere around here. Who knows? <laughs> you know, probably in the after dark screening. Yeah, it is fine. You know. Yeah, it is fine. I, I bring her along. She's she's actually gotten very used to coming to these types of things, and she'll actually be in Seattle with us for the Children's Film Festival. Fantastic. I'm uh, yeah. She loves watching kids' short films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to say that she is a film lover. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you so much for for sitting down with me over this past year uh, with all of my issues. You have been uh, an inspiration in Aww. a lot of ways, and you and I have had a lot of private conversations. Yes, and we have become very close over this past year, and it has been incredible. So I am very happy to, you know, see all of your success and just Aww. to consider you a friend. Oh gosh, I can't. I have to say the same. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed your friendship, and I uh, look forward to many more conversations and getting to see you many more times over the next many years. <laughs> awesome. So I've been sitting down with Annette Riley, the actor, writer, director of so many things. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, and a typical fairy tale. Definitely look forward to seeing it in Seattle at the end of February. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now that the fire is on, uh, welcome to the studio, <laughs> Elena Silverberg and here. Chris McRonney from the film B-Side. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Uh, Chris and I have known each other for years, and this is the first time he has ever been on an episode, <laughs> and he may or may not have been giving me crap for it for the past, uh, yeah, four years, three yeah. years. So, you know, <laughs> Just like to give him reminders once in a while. Right. Uh, but <laughs> Elena, definitely welcome for the first time. <laughs> Thank you so much. So the film B-Side, about a young group of skaters, you know, trying to find kind of, or one skater in particular, trying to find kind of her purpose and identity after an accident that we see a few different times in flashbacks. That's right. So tell me more about the story, kind of what spoke to you about it that you wanted to get it made. I just wanted to make a story about uh, female skateboarders because skateboarders are pretty badass in the first place um i mean it's a really really hard thing to do um and uh and then uh just women in skateboarding um you know we've had to kind of or not me personally but uh they've kind of had to break down some barriers there because it's kind of a guy's world um and i was just really inspired by the the scene here of the women skateboarders um, and also the story actually was inspired by my dad passing away. So I wanted to kind of put all that grief and stuff that I went through um, and put it into that character. Um, and in a very like dreamy, artsy kind of way, of course, without giving it all away at the beginning. And yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Chris, when did you, because I remember you telling me about this project a while ago. And so kind of like talk about your process as far as getting involved with it and kind of your role. Well, uh, I think it was what it was probably shortly after I did Crazy Eights, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Crazy Eights, what, 20... 17, 2017, 2017 yeah. or something Are you sure like it was that? 2017? We had it this might, conversation might earlier. <laughs> no. There's no context no for the listeners right now, <laughs> but John is always right, just so you know. 
Um, I have receipts, son. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You and I lose. Um, but yeah, I think it was just shortly after Crazy Eights. Um, I remember Elena basically reaching out and she's just like, I've got this script. Would love for you to like read over it. Um, thinking about uh, applying for the MPA award and um, would love for you to come on as a producer. And I read the script and I loved it. And I was like, yeah, 100%. Like, let's let's do this. So essentially, you know, like I jumped on board as a name and it was really Elena who who did all the legwork and filling out all the, the forms needed and getting all the information together uh, to send to MPIA where, where there's what, probably hundreds of applicants Sheesh. like that that do apply for MPIA. And then I remember hearing, what did we make the top? What before? Like, I know we made a cut. We made a cut of, yeah. of like, I don't know, it was like 50 or something like something that. Like that. Something yeah. along those lines. Um, and I was like, oh, this is this is really great news. And uh, the closer and closer we got to, I guess, Whistler Film Fest, which is where we would uh, we would have Elena actually pitch the film to producers. Um, we, we got the call told that we were top five. So out of hundreds of applicants to be top five <laughs> is unreal. And, uh, you know, we went up to Whistler. Uh, fortunately, I was able to go up there and just be support because it really was all this lady right here. Uh, who yeah, went and up I had a four-month-old, yeah. so I just had a baby, and I was pitching in front of, like, yeah, 200-plus well, people. Well, carrying a baby, it's yeah. crazy. Well, you weren't carrying the baby <laughs> during, uh, the pitch, during the no. pitch. <laughs> but, but I accepted the award, like... It was his mom and baby. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic experience like to, to actually like commit to like going out there and be supportive. And like you had five really, really great pitches, Mm -hmm. you know? And what was amazing was, uh, it was what, four women pitching and one dude and the, the guy Jay Cardinal, he did an amazing, amazing pitch. Super passionate, um, like a so big passionate. Perf- like performance was, pitch. Yeah, it was really cool. Was now, in that unreal. type of contest or kind of you know yeah. thing, is there only one person who ends up getting the yes. financing? Yes, yeah. and that's the thing. Ooh. So that was that was us, and like we were actually like pretty surprised because. The competition the, was, it was, it was, it was like was not, strong. yeah, it was strong that year. And like, you don't find out that day you pitch and then, uh, yeah, enjoy the festival and, and then you don't you come sleep. Back. And yeah, then you, <laughs> I think it was well, you're not sleeping anyway. You had a four month old. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. yeah she's, she was never sleeping in the first <laughs> right. place. So come on. Yeah. Have um, you even caught up on your sleep yet? I mean, even though that was like a probably year ago. Not. I was no. like, she's not slept since. Yeah. No, I've yeah. aged like five years in the last year. No, but um, yeah, that was the beginning process, and he's talking about me doing all this stuff, which is true. Um, but the second we went into pre-production, this guy over here was twenty-four-seven, um, uh, just crushing it, yeah. trying to get us through to the finish line, getting everything organized, paperwork, contracts, all our people. Chris just, you know. He basically didn't sleep. He probably slept <laughs> less than I did, there's actually. A l- there's, a, there's a little sleep here and there. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, in between, like, producing, uh, have a business that I run, and then 
uh, also going out for auditions to act. Yeah, it was, it was uh, a lot of stuff going on and then like dealing with life in general, I think. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that we all try to try to find some sort of balance, right? But when you're working on something that you're passionate about, you tend to like pour more into that. Yeah, you yeah. get hyper-focused on something and then you start to forget like, oh yeah, there's this also. Mm-hmm. But I was more than happy to put all my energy into the B-side because at the end of the day, we were able to make a beautiful film that people seem to appreciate and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Fantastic. And then kind of touching, you know, back to one of the first things you said, Elena, about, you know, your father passing kind of, again, similar to like that hyper-focus, you know, giving you a project or creating a project. Yeah, absolutely. To really just kind of push that into well yeah I mean my dad passed away and then like a month later I was pregnant for the first time (laughs) wow and so it was like you know like a lot going on hormones and emotions and everything and um I just thought like what would my what would my dad want me to do he would want me to work on something that made me happy uh he wouldn't want me to be sad um, of course, I was sad, <laughs> right? but <laughs> he would want me to put that somewhere. And um, and my dad was actually like, he was not creative or artsy in any way, but he never questioned what I did. He always 100% supported everything I did, even if he didn't understand it. So, um, yeah, it was it was really cathartic experience to put that into that character so you know she has this kind of like um, post-traumatic stress from losing her dad because she lost him in such a tragic accident Um, and yeah just uh, kind of seeing her be able to get back to living again gave me hope that I could keep going and be able to live without him without talking to him every day. So it was kind of like I was talking to him every day still. I was just making a movie. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's therapy almost. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. That's what well, we do, right? Yeah. I mean, again, as, <laughs> as creators, you know, so often we use our art, whatever art form that is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to express ourselves, yeah, you know, 100%. and yeah. through yours. I mean, using that, you know, pain that you're going through and channeling it through this young character and having her kind of go through it, I can absolutely see that connection. And as that character in the film starts to grow and expand and starts to kind of come to terms with things, you know, through this film, yeah, that cathartic experience definitely, you know, would make sense. Yeah. Now, as far as the actual skating in the film, yeah. how many of, of your cast actually were skaters or became skaters? Like, there was one scene, well, like, towards kind of in the credits, yeah. we see, you know, you know, this kind of a uh, very kind of '90s style. Yeah, yeah that's know, all montage. shot on uh, VHSC. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it's style, our yeah, so. it's yeah. our <laughs> behind the scenes videographer shot all that, and then I edited it. That, oh, wow. that end sequence together, um, which was really fun because I just kept finding where the tape, you know, just didn't <laughs> quite work very well, mm-hmm. and it, it was just gold. Actually, the colorist at Finale was like. You know, people pay big money to make stuff look like this. Yeah. The, the fact that we <laughs> so have that so many cool. filters, whether it is on our phone yeah. or on like high end yeah. editing equipment to give like some go 90, back to the 90s source, gray. Right? Yeah. Go back to the source but and just do it the way that it would have 
been done in the 90s if you can get your hands on a camera. Like totally. That. And I have extra tapes left over. I'm totally going to make a little short on a VHS. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, I actually really budget. This is budget filmmaking here. I went to the library because they have a free digitizing station. Wow. And I sat in there with my baby and digitized everything. That's amazing. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you um, yeah, sit the there with, a, with the razor blade and, you know. No, yeah, 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 you yeah. just pop it Cutting in a little thing films. and it just yeah. kind of like does its own thing. But um, the skateboarding, um, uh, <laughs> we'll be honest, it was really tough to find great skateboarders that age yeah. um, that are also good actors. So yeah. it took us a little bit that of time was, to find our people. I think that was like the biggest like, yeah. issue, not issue, but the, the biggest hurdle with the whole process was like, hey, do we get actors that are good and then we teach them how to skateboard or do we find like skateboarders that can miraculously act? And I think we found a happy balance because I would say uh, three of the girls... Are mostly are actors who mm-hmm. play around with skateboards. Yeah. Right. And then you have uh, Araya who played Brit, uh, who is, you know, the daughter of uh, Rob Sluggo Boyce, uh, who's a legendary skateboarder here in Vancouver, who has never acted before in her life. Wow. And she comes to an audition. She does that. Then, uh, then her dad brings her out to the skate auditions that we had. And uh, I think that's where she really yeah. endeared herself to us because it was just like, I think you She you, showed you said, exactly what a skateboarder does, like which is and gets gets better every time. Yeah. Um, she gets better every time, um, every time she acts. So um, be, even though it was her first film, um, she was very like easy to connect with and she totally... Uh, understood taking a risk. She made the 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 proper adjustments and stuff. Like when you would ask her to do something, those adjustments would uh, would come through. And uh, I mean, I think we saw that at the chemistry read because the chemistry read was so very different from her initial audition. We were like, did you go to like Juilliard or something? <laughs> right. in, yeah, in the what past happened? two weeks, yeah. <laughs> it was like, who, who are you now compared? And it was because, you know, she dedicated herself to probably getting some coaching and this and that. And you want to see that is you want to see someone inspired to, to try and make themselves better for, for someone else's project. And that's, it's fantastic. Yeah, and then Olivia, who played Mel, the like lead character, um, she did a really good um, self tape and sent that in. Um, I think um, we originally uh, casted her as someone else. We casted her as someone else because we were doing a chemistry read with another actor, um, and that was the thing that it was like putting together this puzzle with the casting and. Um, Olivia sent a skate video and and you know it was kind of like just you know some street style skating um and I was like shoot like what about the bowl you know because we were gonna shoot in an outdoor bowl um we ended up inside in a ramp but um yeah it was like oh uh what can I do and we just kind of wrote it slightly differently so that we didn't Exactly. I mean, we weren't going to see her on a skateboard for the whole film until the end anyways. Um, but even the end, we cheat. So, um, For sure. And I yeah. think what, what was also important, I don't know that we were like paying, like putting our focus on that at first, but like talking to Rob, you know, during the process, he's like, well, it's a 90s film. And he's like, girls weren't skateboarding in the 90s the way they can skateboard now. He's like, you don't need to be 
looking like guys were maybe in the 90s. Like these girls are just like they're just getting on boards. They're trying these things out. Well, and they're teenagers. So like like they they could have just started a year ago or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So so that that I think helped ease our conscience a bit. And it was like, okay, well, like, let's make sure that they can act. And then the board stuff we can really work around. But if we have one person who's really good at boarding, you know, we'll get those dynamic shots with her and and it'll, it'll piece together. Yeah. Final question. You know, as it pertains to the film, as we have talked about, you know, this this young character, you know, she is dealing with, with the loss of her father and all of these things that she, you know, is going through and she finally has to get back on the board. You know, she finally has to have those moments where it is like, you know, through various circumstances that happen in the film and some encouragement, she has to get back on the board. So for each of you and it might be the same thing that we have been talking about, Elena, but what is an example, you know, recently where you finally just had to realize I need to get back on the board. I need to get back to doing something that a good I love doing. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. It's not uh, recent, but it was, I went to a pitch workshop before I pitched MPA. Um, it was uh, Anaisa Visser, who actually was my first AD on our film. She's an amazing director, and so it was great because we just got to like mm-hmm. You could chat. speak director to each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, but I went to this workshop that she was hosting, and um, Melanie Jones, this director, was talking, and she was talking about how she just had to get over the fact that she didn't like to pitch because even though I can be boisterous and talk with you and like talk in front of people, I'm still an introvert. Um, so it was like, okay, it's okay if you hate pitching, but you definitely have to get over that <laughs> because you want to make films. Yeah. So you, you better start to find a way to like it. Um, so I don't know if I like it yet, but I definitely found a way to do it and feel confident and feel good about myself. I think a lot of that has to do with having my son, Zach. I just want to be this like exemplary role model to him to, to say, like, look at me, look what I can do. You can do that too. You can do anything like, you know, so, um, it's kind of cliche, but yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Wow. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to to think back on something that maybe like I could say that I had quit, and then I'm like I I need to go back and do this. Um, but I I don't know if it it really is the same thing, but um, I think it can relate, and I think that's just kind of like over the last several years, um, after getting a story high project, I've kind of been involved with producing, 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 and really all the years where I thought that I would establish myself as an actor and have people recognize me as an actor got all set to being recognized as a producer. It's like, hey, I've got a script. Can you make it? <laughs> right. You know? I'm like, oh, okay. And you're like, cool, yeah, can, cool, I cool, cool, cool. can I be in it? Sorry, yeah. there's nothing for you. Um, it's <laughs> There's nothing in it for you, but <laughs> it's cool. Um, so I think that for me, I got comfortable with that over the last couple of years and I'm just like whatever I'll just go to like you know I'll go and play a piece of lettuce at a commercial audition and then like I'll go and try and like <laughs> do other shit when I can um but producing was the thing that kept me like in the industry and like feeling like I was part of 
the industry as opposed to acting. And uh, I think I, I've recently come to the realization that like acting was my passion. Why am I letting it take a back seat? Absolutely. So it's time for me in 2020. It's not like I'm never going to produce again, but I'm taking a little break just so I can focus on acting and do the things that make me happy and move forward as opposed to defaulting to letting it take a back seat to pursue other stuff that just makes me feel like I'm in the industry. Right. I'd rather be happy and, and doing that than miserable and doing something for the sake of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love to hear that so much. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes me so happy. <laughs> Chris is an amazing producer, uh, but he's also you. an incredible actor. <laughs> so uh, shucks. <laughs> no, I, I really Thanks. just feel so, so strongly about people going after what lights a fire inside of them yeah. because that fire is there for a reason and it helps inspire other people too. And yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows, you know, 2020 is the year and I, I will produce again. And I just I hope that, uh, you know, great successes and big things for everybody that I know and with our film and, you know, with the paths that we all decide to, to go throughout the rest of the year. Fantastic. And then speaking of the plan for this film. Yes. Mm -hmm. So is there is it kind of currently and I have been asking, you know, everybody here, mm -hmm. is this kind of in the middle of a festival circuit or I guess towards a tail end? Kind of what is the, the plan for B-Side? Yeah, actually, we just started. <laughs> um, so we started with our premiere at Whistler as part of MPA. And then oh, we just also, a couple months ago. Okay. Yeah. So we but we also got into the shorts program. So we had two screenings at Whistler. Which hey, was there like you go. Awesome. More amazing. Eyes. Yeah. More yeah. eyes on it. Yeah, um, so this great. is our like second festival third screening awesome. and um yeah we're just we're putting ourselves out there hoping to get into some more and um yeah a b-side is also a concept piece for the feature that i was already working on so um we're looking to get some um development money <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. uh, so that we can develop that feature a little bit more and and pull out that story you know make it a little more gritty uh pull some of my Surrey Wally stories into there. Nice. <laughs> Wally nice. in the Good 90s. Old Wally. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Nice. It's it's got a future for sure. Yeah. Fantastic. And then where can people find each of you on social media? Where can they follow the project? Elena, how about we start with you? Yeah, uh, I'm all over Insta Instagram and pretty much nowhere else. So Fair. Uh, yep. Elena Silverberg. <laughs> okay. Um and then our uh, B-side is uh, B-side -side short. short. B-side short on Instagram as well. And that's that's pretty much where we live. Yeah. 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 How about you, Chris? And uh, for me, yeah, I think uh, I'm mostly on Instagram and uh, Twitter in regards to being a social media outlet for entertainment purposes. Uh, Facebook's very much more of a private thing. But uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram at CrispyMC. And it's Chris with a K, K-R-I-S-P-Y-M-C. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Chris McRonnie. So M-C-R-O-N-N-E-Y. I'll see y'all there. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, the film is B-Side. Thank you so much, uh, Elena and Chris, for sitting down with me and talking about it. Definitely, Thank you, for having us. you know, follow the project on social media for all of the listeners. And yeah, it is 
kind of in beginning its festival run. So I'm sure Indeed. it will be out there for eyes to see. Amazing. So thank, thank you, you for my first ever podcast. Hey, this there we go. This is awesome. amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I would give you a pin, but I don't have any <laughs> pins. <laughs> first podcast So pin. the next time you come back to Vancouver, mm-hmm. you'll have something pinned. Oh, like I, a pressed yeah. pin. Yeah, I, I will absolutely make okay. a first right. podcast. My pin. first podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> Done. Awesome. I'm going to hold you to it, man. <laughs> I'll remind you every day. Thank you both. Thank you. I mean, arguably the most important woman as part of this festival. Yeah. I mean, there really is not a competition. Uh, but joining me right now, <laughs> Marina Dix, the co-director, because we cannot forget the lovely and amazing, talented woman, Zlatina Pacheva, who is not here right now, no, or not sure. here this weekend right now. Nope. So we definitely miss her, but... Sitting down with Marina, the co-director of the Vancouver Short Film Festival. Welcome back to the show for the fourth time. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Kristen and I were reminiscing about our first time. Yeah. And I think I said something like, um, uh, off the chain. <laughs> Wait, w- did we record it in the 90s? I don't um, know. <laughs> <laughs> and an outer body <laughs> trans-decade experience. Amazing, amazing. Uh, so this is the 10th year yeah. of the Vancouver Film Fest, Vancouver Short Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys have pulled out all the stops. This is three yeah. days this year versus the previous two days. Uh, one of the other things that you have pulled out of the stops is you have given Philip Plant a f- full reign to do whatever he wants with lighting. Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> it looks like we're on like a music video set for like some synthwave awesome. Like there's like purple, pink, blue yeah. LED lights. And it just looks like super cool in here. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm cool enough to be at my own festival. I was like, <laughs> I was like are there going to be a velvet rope and we're not going to yeah. get in? <laughs> <laughs> we're in the VIP section before they tell us to get out. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so with this 10th year... Uh, you ran through some of the numbers of this mm-hmm. year on the opening night, and they kind of blew me away. So talk about how many <laughs> submissions yeah. you received and films that you selected. So we had a total of 200, and I think it's between 65 and 67 films this Shit. year, which is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. And then we had to narrow it down. Well, we didn't have to, but we did narrow it down um, <laughs> Unless you want to have a week-long festival. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I, it's more so of like we could have done just the Friday, Saturday. Oh, but gotcha. then because this has been such a consistent number for the last two years, we were like, well, we have to sort of expand to accommodate what we're getting in Mm -hmm. and show off BC properly. So um, we expanded to three days this year. We have five screenings plus an after dark. And this year we had a retrospective screening, which was the best picture winners of the last five years, Mm -hmm. which was super awesome to see all of them like in tandem. It was, it's not something we get to do every day. So yeah, it was really, really special. So, yeah, there were a total of 46. 46, yes. 46 of the new films, or does that include the retrospective? I forget. I think I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We did have five films, and I think it was 46 in competition. 46 in competition. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I have to double check. Yeah, it was pretty incredible (laughs) watching, again, that retrospective and watching the films from the past five years. Mm -hmm. And the filmmakers, you know, they came up to do a QA. and a and it was really great just seeing them and having them talk about these films that they sometimes have not seen 
in three to five years. Yeah, one of our directors, uh, Misha Carter, who did The Bowaki Hustle, mm-hmm. which is one of my all-time favorite movies that we have played at this festival. Wow. It's like, I don't, there's so much like joy, mm-hmm. um, culture, and color, and it's just such a beautiful documentary. It is an incredible film. It's so good. And I I constantly reference it to people. I'm like, don't you remember this film? And everybody's <laughs> like, I wasn't at the festival at that point. And I'm like, oh, right. Right, because I have been <laughs> on this festival for six years. But um, Baki Hustle has actually been online for a while. And Misha hasn't seen it on a big screen since the festival. Wow. And so he was saying, um, we had... Uh, filmmaker luncheon again this year and Misha we had all of our uh, retrospective mm-hmm. uh, screening um, winners filmmakers mm-hmm. yes uh, on the panel um, so that we could sort of just see where everybody's gone and where everybody's going and what the effects of the festival had on them and yeah Misha was saying that he had not seen the film since it first played wow. <laughs> well, I mean he's seen it but yeah, like yeah. not on the big screen yeah which is it's, it's, it's a special moment I mm-hmm. think and the Van City Theater is by far one of the better film experiences in the city. So we're incredibly lucky to be here again. So yeah. it was pretty, it was pretty tremendous, especially when seeing cameraman, mm-hmm. you know, on the big screen. Cause that was my first year that yeah. I covered this in 2017. This is now my fourth, you know, time covering yeah. this festival. So seeing the first one, you mm-hmm. know, that I saw the first winner that I saw up there again, like that film is still incredible and still powerful. And mm-hmm. so to listen to the director, you know, yeah, talk about color. it. Because, again, yeah. he had not really been a part. This film had not really been a part of his world for a while. Yeah. And he talked about how, and I cannot remember if he did this in 2017, but he talked about how this is based off of his dad's novel and oh. how his dad did the narration yeah. of it. And so it was kind of this, like, 30-year journey of his dad, you know, mm-hmm. losing his brother and then doing this novel and then the film. And so, like, that kind of multi-generational type of creativity like that was just incredible and seeing the rest of the ones that you know were before i started covering Mm -hmm. the festival yeah yeah we had uh through the pain and boaki hustle those Mm -hmm. were before your time (laughs) yeah but uh, yeah cameraman was such a funny one because my parents actually came over from victoria for the festival and they could not stop talking about cameraman Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting that like by playing these films they, they still hold up and then the, the themes are still prevalent. The acting's still incredible. The direction is still so strong. And then there's just like a new generation of fans mm-hmm. that come around when we do these retrospectives. It's really, it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So outside of the amazing amount of submissions and, mm-hmm. you know, the five main programming blocks and the after dark uh, yeah. and everything like that. So in this 10th year, mm-hmm. yeah, what has been kind of the most satisfying part of the kind of big overarching 10-year celebrations oh man i mean it's really fun to see where the festival's gone Mm -hmm. and where it's like i've been involved for six years and when i first came on we had sort of a rotating door of amazing festival directors but Mm -hmm. there was um definitely uh places where i could see the festival going and how it could develop and um and I convinced Kristen Stilling to direct it <laughs> for two years mm-hmm. in a row. <laughs> and, um, and that's how we sort of developed all of our, our processes and like and and sort of created a plan for where we wanted to see ourselves and, and how we wanted to grow. And so that was six years ago. And now we're 
selling out screenings and mm-hmm. people are messaging me day of like, can I get tickets? Can I get tickets? I don't know. I didn't, I forgot <laughs> 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 or, Oh, is submissions closed? Like, shoot, I really wanted to be a part of the festival this year mm-hmm. or sponsors coming out and, and just really coming out and supporting um, us again in in a really big way and, and being present all weekend. That doesn't always happen. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just it's really encouraging to see where we started and where we're going because this is only the beginning mm-hmm. of what I think we will end up being. <laughs> well, especially, you know, considering you kind of roped Kristen in, you know, to direct it, and now she is chair of the board. Yes. It's like, she is so still so heavily mm-hmm. involved, and through that leadership, like, this festival is just going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, it just, it is incredible to watch because, I mean, again... You are selling out screenings. There is always a line out of the door. Yeah. So that is pretty amazing. It's yeah. It's kind of nuts. I don't really. Yeah. I mean, I'm super thankful, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm really thankful for this community. Everybody sort of bands together, and it was a really busy weekend in Vancouver yeah. <laughs> for the indie scene. <laughs> so uh, we weren't really sure what our numbers were going to be like, but we still had a lot of people come out and support us, which is. I'm beyond thankful. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So great. While well, they're getting ready for the after party, yeah. I am pretty sure they're going to be setting up a photo booth exactly where we are Probably, soon. Probably, yes. Um, so we will we will clear out. But mm-hmm. again, thank you so much for your continued, you know, support of not only the BC film community, but of the filmmakers themselves. You said it, you know, before we started recording that this was the first year where you truly felt like you could be here all weekend, meet all of the filmmakers, just mm-hmm. really you know, have that presence there. And I know that they're so appreciative of that. Yeah, it's been it's been really nice. We have a lot of like returning filmmakers this year who had their films play a couple years ago. I was just talking to actually Michelle. Yeah. Neil, who you had had on this uh, podcast mm-hmm. and uh, and we played her film Mental three years ago. Yeah. I think. And it's and then we have her film Sweet Release in the in the program this year. And it's just really cool to see her filmmaking journey. Mm-hmm. In the same way that with Connor, we had films from him in the past, and then he came back with Cameraman. And it was like, we get to see the progression of filmmakers, and, and it's really fun to sort of have a reunion of sorts yeah. <laughs> um, once a year in January. So, yeah, I just want to say thank you to you as well for coming all the way up to yeah. Vancouver <laughs> for more rain. <laughs> right. I was, um. I was like, I would say before I come up here, I'm like, I'm going to the great white North. Yeah. No, no. every year I come up here, it is just it's rainy great, like Seattle. Great rain. North. <laughs> right. The great gray rainy yeah, North, north. <laughs> kind of North. Um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you. Cause it's been four years and, um, it, I almost didn't think you were going to come out this year, and I was actually a little bit sad. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it, it was definitely, you know, kind of touch and go for, for a while. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I just, I'm so glad to be here. Mm. Every time I come here, I personally get re-energized talking to the creators about everything that they mm. are doing. And it just, yeah, it is it is incredible. So Aww. thank you so much thank you. Uh, for doing this. And then... Uh, the website is Vancouver Short Film Fest, or is it? It's vsff.com. vsff.com. So definitely, if you are a BC filmmaker in any level, you know, actor, mm-hmm. director, producer, whatever it is, definitely go to the website, get the submissions in as early as possible, yeah. considering June 2020. <laughs> oh, is it June? I okay. think so. Yeah, June 2020. 
Yeah. It'll be announced on our Facebook, Instagram. I think we have a Twitter. <laughs> it's not my <laughs> platform of choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. uh, but in our, in our own, on our website, we'll announce uh, submissions being open. So it, it's usually around June. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So awesome. So definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, if you are involved in film in any way, capacity, this is an amazing festival. I encourage everybody to, to be a part of it. So thank you again, Marina. And yeah, we will we'll clear out and see what else they have in mind for this space that we are in. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you once again to all of my guests who are on this episode. Annabelle McLean, Justin Anthony, Chris McRonnie, Elena Silverberg, Misha Neal, Michelle Muldoon, Luvia Peterson, Catherine Lonsdale, Julie Lynn Mortensen, Johanna Newmarch, Annette Riley, and the incomparable co-director of the festival, Marina Dix. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the About to Interview podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the podcast and follow the podcast on social media. Thank you to the Vancouver Short Film Festival for giving me the opportunity to cover this great great event. This was my fourth year in a row covering this festival, and it is incredible. So thank you to all of the volunteers. Uh, Thank you also to Nicholas and Jacob and Avi and Emily And yeah, the volunteers, the theater staff, everybody was super helpful this weekend, whether I needed to clear some space to create a modified studio in kind of an upstairs staff area, or if I needed to break that down and then set up a different studio by a fireplace somewhere. The whole staff was just so helpful in, yeah, just kind of helping to coordinate that. So thank you to the volunteers. Thank you for listening. I have been your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat